Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors creating fiction books that range from science fiction, mystery, to graphic novels. I'm Lenny Picker, a writer for Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with Declan Hughes, whose novel, All the Things You Are, is being published this month by Severn House, the sponsor of today's podcast. And Declan's going to start us off by reading the first part of the book. Danny Brogan burnt his future wife's family to death when he was 11 years old. Whether by accident or design, he's not entirely sure, or at least that's what he's always told himself. It was probably no great surprise that, as a result, he should develop a morbid fear of fire, nor that this fear should stay with him throughout his life. Fear is a man's best friend, or so the song goes, and Danny carried his fear of fire just as he carried his fear of the friends that were with him that night, until it sometimes looked like the twin burdens might overwhelm him. No one really knew what he had done, except his friends Dave and Jean and Ralph, and even they differed on the details. And while they had promised never to tell, there was always the fear that they might. Not at first, not in the immediate aftermath, the whole city in shock, the church services and processions of mourning, the burial of the dead, the tiny white coffins. Not in the following weeks and months, the surviving child placed in foster care and then with adoptive parents miles away, the burnt house demolished and rebuilt until you'd never know there'd been a fire there at all. Not in the years after that, as junior high gave way to the high school riot of sports and studies and hormones, brains, emotions and muscles vying daily for supremacy, like in the old comic book advertisement. No one ever said a word. It was as if it had never happened, as if their childhoods had never happened, as if memory was no longer necessary. The future was the only game in town. The next exam, the next football game, the next pretty girl. Who cared what happened when they were kids? It was only later, when they had kids themselves, that things changed. You relive your own childhood when you have children, Danny came to understand. Danny's elder daughter, Barbara, was the same age now as Danny had been when the fire took place. And once the kids had started coming, that was when the memories began. That was when the questions started. That was when the past became present. And for Danny, that was when the fear took renewed, redoubled hold. That the guys had all drifted apart was perhaps inevitable. After all, how many 11-year-olds remain friends for the rest of their lives? But it increasingly seemed, even if it was never spoken of, as if the fire at the Bradbury place was the only thing they had left in common. Thank you, Declan. And for me, that section sort of epitomized uh, a successful attempt to... uh, Hook the reader right from the opening, and I have to say that you know the very first sentence strikes me as uh, you know brilliantly twisted. And I'm wondering at what point in writing the book did opening it in just this way come to you? As very often happens, you you begin a bit later. I began with, of course, and that that constitutes the prologue. The opening scene proper is is Danny's wife Claire coming back from a week in Chicago where she may or may not have done something unwise with an old boyfriend and and kind of shrugging this off and thinking everything is normal. And then when she arrives in the house, everything is gone. Everything is not normal anymore. Her family is gone. The furniture is gone. Absolutely everything is gone. 
and uh, her kind of um, her jousting with a little bit of adventure in her life is suddenly sort of seems like a, 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 a terrible mistake and all she wants is what she has lost and I suppose I started with Claire and then worked my way back um, because of course you know we, 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 we follow the story in, in, into the future but it's about something as all crime stories are it's about something that happened in the past um, and when I landed on that line I have to say I did I did feel those one of those rare moments in writing where I thought, oh, that's going to get them. Well, it, it certainly succeeded here. Now, when you write about the effect on Danny of having children, I noticed uh, from the dust jacket of the book that just as Danny Brogan has two daughters, you yourself have two daughters. So are you, in, in describing his feelings about the effect of fatherhood, um, mirroring your own experiences? To a certain extent. I mean, we always say as writers that, that, you know, characters become blurred and they become composites and so forth. But, you know, in the previous books I've written uh, with a, a detective, Ed Loy, um, eventually he meets a woman who has two daughters and he sort of acts as a sort of step parent to them. And then in this book, there were two daughters. And I'm pretty shamelessly stealing um, um, my uh, traits from my own daughters and from my own experience as a father and uh, um, you know just to just to show you can get away with nothing we had a we had a reading of the book here in Dublin about three weeks ago and my girls are, are 15 and 12 now so they're they're kind of old enough to want to come along to these things and afterwards they they were like that's us isn't it they were sort of semi-impressed but not too always I'm very very uh, cautious about giving away very much if anything of the plot because I like readers or listeners to experience the book as much as possible the way that I did. But can you talk without going into detail about where the idea for this novel came from? And not to make it too much of a compound question, am I correct that this is your first standalone? It is, yeah. Um, after I, I read five novels in a series involving a, 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 a PI um, called Ed Loy, who had been in America and had come back to Dublin, intending just to bury his mother and then leave, but he stuck around. Um, in the fifth of those books, he headed back to the to, to the United States with some unfinished business with a former um, and a former relationship, and um, I guess. When you write five in a row with one character, you know, it's not that you want to break up permanently, but it's time maybe to start seeing other people, I felt. Um, and so I wanted to see a lot of different people. And uh, it so happened my sister, there was a whole wave of emigration to the States. There has been many Irish waves of emigration to the States, and one of them was in the 80s. My sister moved over. Um, and she's been living in Madison, Wisconsin for, for 10 or 12 years. She previously lived in Ann Arbor in Michigan. And there was something that interested me about these um, Midwestern college towns. You kind of have this bargain between really good sort of bookstores and art house cinemas and restaurants and so forth, um, but the kind of that you would expect in, in a major city. But you have a, a degree of safety about uh, raising a family there. And I thought, okay, if you have a degree of safety, then that's where you introduce uh, sudden danger and, 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 and the sort of element of, of surprise. And I guess that sense that you have ordinary people put in extraordinary circumstances. The other impulse for the book was that kind of thing when, uh, I guess it's, it's a sort of middle of the life thing where people are, are wondering, is this it? Is this that we're married? We have kids. We, you know... There are there are pressures here and there, but you know it's 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 okay. Is that the way it's going to be from now on? And very often, people in this situation 
make mistakes for themselves, either either deliberately to you know to work things up, or 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 because they are under genuine pressure. And I suppose what intrigued me was the idea that you know one of the people in this marriage has made a little bit of a of a change for herself, a flirtation with a with a past as an actress, where she kind of she gave up in her 20s, her dreams of the stage and maybe more. And she wants to sort of revisit that before the whole thing becomes just sort of dead and gone. And at the beginning of the book, it feels like she is entertaining something. And is it is it revitalizing her career? Is it having an affair? It's it's things that every day people in the middle of their lives think, you know what, I'm not dead yet. Maybe maybe there's something I can change. And then, you know, an introduction of a, a rather more dangerous element, uh, the, 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 the disappearance of her family, of her house, the discovery of her dog dead in her garden. And she realizes that, that whatever it was, the change should not have happened at this level. A few years back in an interview, you were quoted as saying that, you know, you were open to the idea of possibly setting a book in the U.S., but you needed to sort of get a better feel of, of the U.S. So can you talk a little bit about your decision to set this book uh, in the United States? And I guess concomitant with that, how would the book have been different had it been set in Ireland and sort of compounding my compound question, talk a little bit about the setting of the book. So you have the incident in the past that happens in 1976 and the present, uh, which appears to be contemporary. Yeah. Well, I, I guess on the one hand, you have a place like Madison, Wisconsin, which is which which is a sort of idyllic place to live apart from the weather. Uh, it's it's a sort of um, sort of very civilized college town, a wacky place, and great brew pubs. Um, it's 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 got a sort of it's a, a sort of little drop of blue in a red state, um, which 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 would be cognizant uh, consonant with my um, politics. The pr- the problem with setting a story like this in Ireland is. You know, there's there's maybe on the whole island six million people. It's harder to go missing. It's harder to vanish. Um, and if you vanish, it's easier to, to 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 sort of to sort of find people. So I, I I felt I needed the the wider open spaces, and I guess that's 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 the the principal reason I said it where I did. I needed it to be near to a major city, uh, that, that being Chicago, because it seemed to me that, that um, when, when we had uh, the specter of bad guys, and there's, there's, there's stuff in Milwaukee as well, with the specter of bad guys, I, I, I didn't quite believe in, although I talked to some cops in, 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 in Madison, I didn't quite believe in, in, in the sort of threat of, of of Madison bad guys, so I needed the threat to come from 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 a place like Chicago, and uh, and I wanted to stretch out a bit, I guess. You know, on the one hand, I'd spent a lot of time in the states anyway, and also, you know, the the generation of Irish people I'm I'm from and everybody younger. We're you know, I once wrote a play. I have a, a separate and parallel life in the theater, and uh, I once wrote a play where a couple had come back from America to open a. A dot com startup at the beginning of all of that, and um, it was going to be a sort of cultural magazine type of thing, and they were calling it Fifty First State. They were saying there's no point in distinguishing Ireland from the rest of the United States because it is effectively culturally colonized by by the U.S. And uh, so, you know, we are. I guess so much more familiar with you guys than uh, you, you often are with with with, with us. So. 
in terms of the cultural challenge of that, it it didn't seem it didn't seem great. Let's sort of take a step back a bit and wonder if you can tell the listeners a little bit about where you grew up and your career before you started writing novels. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in a, a suburb of, of uh, south of Dublin called Dorky by the sea. It's about nine miles south of, south of the city centre. And um, I, I graduated from university. We skipped, the, we skipped forward to the interesting bits. Graduated university uh, in Trinity College in Dublin and with a friend formed a theatre company called Rough Magic, which uh, is, is still going. It's about to open a production of Mahogany, uh, an, an opera, on, on Friday night this week. And, and I don't have a day-to-day uh, role in the theatre anymore, but I, I, I had a new play about two years ago at Dublin's Gate Theatre. So it's something I try and... It, what tends to happen is you do, you know, you, you write fiction and then you miss the theatre, then you write the write for the theatre, you miss fiction, and you're, you're continually oscillating between the two. But I, I did that um, as a director and then as a playwright. The first play I wrote was about uh, Dashiell Hammett and Lillian Hellman. It was called I Can't Get Started. And it went to the Stony Brook Festival in Long Island, uh, the theatre festival there. Um, and part of me had had a passion for crime fiction all along, um, particularly American hard-boiled crime fiction, Hammett, Chandler, and most especially Ross MacDonald, um, who wrote... Uh, uh, a kind of Californian family gothic where the, the the solution to every crime lay not in what had happened last week, but generally what what had happened in a family a generation ago. And um, I, re- I read those when I was 16. I read them again in my 20s, and I thought, this is, this is Ireland. This is actually a very Irish experience, the skeletons in family closets. And it was from that moment that I really felt... I can write. I can write crime fiction set in Ireland that would make sense elsewhere, and then you know, gradually open that up to to to, to, to writing in a in a kind of a a universal sense. And do you have a theory as to why that type of crime fiction, which you've described, was born? I think a phrase you've used is "America is the spiritual home of it." that it was born or, or or really refined in America as opposed to your own country? Well, there was no real crime fiction in Ireland because uh, Ireland uh, uh, had a complicated relationship with, 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 with the United Kingdom and, and fought a, a kind of war of independence with it. But for the first 50 years or so, or 60 years or so of its existence, it was so sort of neurotic about its identity that, you know, to, to have crime fiction, you need some settled... Institutions. You need a police force everybody agrees on, usually. Or um, in 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 the United States, you know, PI uh, fiction came out of people couldn't agree on the police force, but they could pay their own police. Um, and 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 so, but certain competing versions of law and order that that didn't obtain. You, I mean, you have the the country tradition is the UK tradition, the, what might be called the cosy tradition, where you know there's a crime in a village or in a settled community, um, it's solved and everything sort of goes back to normal. And the, you know, most famously Agatha Christie and then people like P. D. James. That never seemed to. Uh, 
to catch on in, in in Ireland. I think there was a sense that we the country wasn't properly established, and it's only maybe in the last fifteen years. And most of the writers look to America that that uh, uh, crime fiction has been has been written here. Um, you know, there was also there were also problems with nobody ever seemed to have enough money. You know, the, the society was always in in sort of desperate straits, and then there was an economic boom, and people had enough money to make mistakes and to buy stuff that only criminals could could give them you know and i always i always think that we you know dashiell hammett wrote about boomtown uh san francisco raymond chandler wrote about boomtown los angeles you know that, that there's something exciting when things are happening like that because people make a lot of mistakes they they think they're entitled to things that they're not really entitled to um and and uh you know they live a little bit too fast and that's when that's when the interesting stuff starts to happen and I read somewhere in you're talking about your time writing for the theater and your time writing novels, that in the way you felt that the theater was no longer really a good uh, medium for mystery or crime stories. Could you expand on that? You know, I mean, I think I think it used to be the staple of the a staple of the theater in the maybe in the in the certainly in the UK. I'm not so sure about it in the States, but in the 30s, 40s, even into the 50s, there were there were thrillers. And, and you know, in fact, <clears throat> Agatha Christie wrote as many almost as many plays as she wrote novels, but and started off in the theater. Um but then TV stole uh, its clothes, you know, um, and 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 now all the all the crime shows happen on happen on TV, and they can tell those stories more deftly, um, uh, you know. So so I I think every now and again one comes along, but it's 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 the exception rather than the rule now. One of the things that I've noticed as a as a prolific reader, if that's not mangling the language too badly, is more and more often authors are not putting chapter titles in their novels and in all the things you are you do i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your decision to do so and what you think having you know i'll be seeing you as uh the first chapter featuring claire having that title add as opposed to you know chapter one it's interesting I'll Be Seeing You was the working title for the novel, actually, at one point. Um, and that's based on absolute, you know, uh, in Madison Airport, you do have that sort of hysterical kind of Mantovani-esque treatment of all those old standards. I'm an old, I mean, I, you know, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm a Sinatra fan. I love the great American popular songbook. And there was something about this story I wanted to, it's a love story as much as it is a, a a crime story. I wanted to make it about a marriage. The other working title and subtitle was Marriage the Thriller, you know? It is a marriage thriller. It's about a couple who are not necessarily very happy with each other and 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 put under external stress to see if they can work things out. And as the story went on, I thought wouldn't it be interesting if these songs played an occasional role in the sort of fabric and the texture of the story. They so they pop up from time to time and they become a kind of private language occasionally between the couple themselves and then between, you know, for ironic and, and black comic effect, bet- between a sort of psychotic couple who are who are sort of stalking their children, um, who have this gloopy moment of romance uh, uh, based around these kind of songs. Um, and I just thought that would be that would be a nice way of uh, 
of punctuating and of of of, of giving a context, um, almost slightly mythic context to the to the whole thing. And Declan, can you uh, tell the listeners what? book you're working on next i'm working on a book set in uh in the west of ireland and it's a it's a book about a set at halloween it's seven people who when they graduated college 25 years ago spent a weekend in a place called gorse cottage which belonged to the parents of one of them and uh during the course of that weekend they either inadvertently or purposely on purpose um, and it remains to be seen which number of them did this, but they killed somebody. And 25 years later, they are drawn back to the same place in various states of denial that this ever happened. And uh, it appears as the action progresses that the guy they killed reemerges. And the question is, are they going to have to kill him again? That sounds great. Again, we've been speaking today with Declan Hughes, the author of All the Things You Are, uh, being published by Severn House this month in June. Uh, Thank you again for your time today. Uh, You've been listening to LitCast, a publisher's weekly podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and join us for the next LitCast uh, in weeks to come.